Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish, a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about Vish, simply text in all capitals, get Vish with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Last week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tony, the dynamic part of the dynamic duo that makes up the Hair Industry Your Day Off podcast. So today, I have none other than the other half, Corey Gray, and it is such a pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone. I will always have both of these amazing gentlemen to thank for my very first podcast interview experience. So it was a wonderful pleasure and and, an entrance into podcast world. Um, And I decided to pick my own podcast back up after I interviewed with them. So welcome, Corey, to being on the other side of the interview. How's it going? It's going amazing, man, actually. Um, And again, if we kind of rewind two years, thank you very much for coming on our podcast. And, you know, thank you for having Tony and I on. We, um, you know, we really appreciate you. We appreciate what you're uh, what you're putting out in our community. And, and as uh, as I'm sure Tony said last week, you know, we, we try to be community based. And uh, you know, we just want to do what's what, what's good for the industry. Well, the first thing that drew me into your podcast was your laugh. I remember <laughs> driving. Yeah, I remember <laughs> driving in the car, and you know, I couldn't tell who was who. I knew there was a Corey. I knew there was a Tony. I knew you guys had great energy together, but I had no visual. I didn't know what either of you looked like. It was a podcast. So I would listen in my car and I would just hang on waiting for Tony or the guest to make you laugh, to have that laugh, just like come through my speakers in my car and make me smile. So I was hooked right away. And it wasn't because you had, you know, industry, amazing, famous mentors that I look up to. It was, it didn't matter who you interviewed. It was the energy that you two bring to the podcast um, that's special, that I think is why you've been so successful. And in speaking with Tony, um, I was amazed at how far back you both go. You guys are as close to brothers without coming out of the same womb as you possibly can. I mean, you go way back. Yeah, we, so, we actually met. We we met in uh, the mid '80s. So, uh, in, if you're doing math, you know, Tony and I we were both in high school then. So, um, it was early on in our high school career, and uh, his his uh, family just kind of moved into our area. Um, you know, a little a little. Tony came from a very very uh, tough neighborhood before he moved to our neighborhood. So, you know, I kind of grew up in the suburbs, and you know. The suburbs, that's almost country, you know, like it's just south of country, you know, so, um, and Tony grew up literally um, in the city and literally in like a, um, in a, in a really tough community. Um, he tells a story how 
you know, when he went to school, he was uh, one of uh, six white kids in the school. So, um, you know, when he, when he came up to our school and our school was uh, predominantly white, um, we certainly have more than six black kids in the school, but you know, we were predominantly white, but you know, it was just a totally different world for Tony. Um, I don't really know why we, uh, we had a kinship, you know, we shared a table in a classroom and I don't really know why we had a kinship, but it was almost immediate. Um, I think, well, part of the reason was we worked next door to each other. So we just kind of, I carpooled with them, um, to go, to go to work. But yeah, other than that, I don't, it, it just, it just, it, it was like magic, you know, it was love at first sight, as they say. But it's amazing. I mean, especially with guys, I think that, um, you know, women tend to be all about that one girlfriend and my bestie and my BFF guys usually don't talk like that or act like that. But for you to, number one, work together both in the salon atmosphere and on the podcast and have that kind of history right. and still really like and care about each other and not get into battle. Um, it's interesting your dynamic too is like, you're definitely more of a talker. He's more, I told him you guys are like um, Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon. Um, <laughs> except you have the Ed McMahon laugh. <laughs> so he's a little more quiet. But um, it just works, you know. I really love that dynamic. So I asked him a question. Um, Hold on, what before, people... we the, before we get to the question, go ahead. You know, you know I'm going to take over. Um, That's okay. Why do you mention the laugh? Because just like my voice when we first started the podcast, like I was so insecure. Like, do I have a voice that can, you know, that, that that's pleasant to listen to? And yeah, I probably don't. But you know, there was that insecurity, and then the second insecurity was my laugh. You know, and oh, I, so I, I was I like, I was so insecure, like, oh my gosh, it, 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 are people going to get it? You know, or, or, you know, cause you know, growing up, you get hassled for that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So then, you know, when you're, when you're actually like broadcasting it to the, to the four people that listen to the first couple podcasts, you know, you're, you're wondering, is it going over? Is it not going over? But there's no doubt that, that there was uh, there was insecurity with both my voice and my laugh. Um, and then, as you know, if you edit these things, you know, then you have to listen to your voice over and over and over again. So you have to kind of uh, get, get past that, you know. So it, it, is, it, is, it is interesting, though, how uh, it's interesting to me, like, you get known for the very thing that you're insecure about. Absolutely. And think about all the most successful people that you, I mean, look at Bill Gates, look at Steve Jobs. They were pretty dorky, right? I mean, people who've done great things were usually the kids in school that got the most bullied. I think it almost gave them more ammunition and pushed them forward to do great things because, right. you know, they didn't have a, a whole lot of social life. And not that that's you, but it's like getting past that insecurity moving forward anyway, in spite of it, is, mm -hmm. is the beauty. You know, I'm sure Howard Stern, he, he's not very much of a looker. So he was like, hey, let me get on the radio <laughs> and, and make a whole shit ton of money doing that, you know? So yeah, I, I just thought of this too, is like, it, it's, those insecurities or those things that 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 you feel you know the heaviest about i guess is also what creates your personality it creates why you're different um, yeah. um you know in the world so it, it just you know that's all part of the learning process you know if, if we knew that early on if we if we could if we could you know hold on to what um to to what makes us different then uh, i think maybe we find you know success a little bit earlier on or, or whatever or just you know not just get caught up in in that insecurity but that's 100%. Well, it's your job now as a grandpa to share that with your grandson that if he has, you know, a goofy laugh or a certain face that he makes or something that he feels that way about, you're going to be his role model and tell him, you know, look at me, look at what I went through. 
Oh, got to tell those grandpa stories. I wish I would have spent more time at a table with a good cup of coffee with my grandparents, my husband's grandparents. You know, you start to, you hit the age where you roll your eyes when someone who's much older than you wants to tell you a war story. And then when they're no longer around, you're like, damn, I wish I would have listened a little closer now that I'm getting closer to grandmom age. Um, that actually leads me to a question. I still want to ask you the question about Tony, but another question just popped up. If you were standing in a hallway of a beautiful hotel and you had three elevator doors in front of you and you knew that in one elevator was your favorite motivator, like a Tony Robbins or someone who you look up to as like a business and motivation guru, the second elevator has the late and great Vidal Sassoon. You can ask him any question about the beauty industry or what made him tick. And the third elevator is someone that you've lost, someone who you knew and loved, but no one else would think of as being famous or, you know, making a big deal out of. And you get to chat with them on an elevator ride for like two floors. Who okay. So, okay. So it's definitely the third. It would definitely be spending time with a loved one. However, if I can caveat it, um, my mom passed away when I, when she was 45, I was 21. Mm. So, um, but if I could caveat it and say, if my daughter was with me, I would put her on the elevator just so she could get to know her and she Aww. could get to know her how much, you know, the love that, 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 that she had for family, you know, that, that would be my caveat. I mean, if that's, I mean, that would be it. I, I would, I would, I would give that up to, to my daughter so she could get to know my mom like it, and love her the way that, that we, that we all love her. Um, but if that's a sidestep, then, uh, I probably would still hang out with my mom. Oh, of course. Now you've just officially been the first person to make me cry on my podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Honestly. We're good at that, you know? Oh my God. Like Tony, though. You know that, right? Well, well, Tony told me about your mom and that you were away when you lost her. So I'm already sensitive to that story. Do you want to visit that, that you were, you know, away in the Navy and serving our great country? And, and that's, you know, something that you have to live with. It sounds like you were super close to your mom. You know, I was. Um, you know, in life, I, I had a tough, I had a tough um, upbringing with my dad. So, um, and being the oldest boy, I think might, might've had something to do with it. Ne never, never being able to be good enough or whatever. I mean, you know, th these are all feelings as a 50 year old man, you know, when you have these feelings at, at 15, they're different, right? Like mm -hmm. there's no hindsight to it. There's no understanding. There's none of that chicken soup stuff. You know, it's never, yep. you're never going to see it at 15 through, I mean, 15 or 40, frankly, but you know, it's really hard until you have kids of your own or until you've experienced a little bit of life to understand that we all have a story and that includes your parents. And, and, and as much, um, my dad just recently passed last year, but, um, it took me a lot of years just to have enough forgiveness for him to understand that, that, that as, as, as rough as, as I think our relationship was, I also believe that he was doing the best that he could. Mm. Now, that being said, uh, my mom was always the person in my life that that believed in me, believed in what I was doing, even when I was a big mess up, right? Like uh, she uh, she was the one that that, that believed in me, and um, and and when I lost that, or you know, when she passed away when I was 21, you know, I felt like, you know, I had lost I had lost that anybody believed in, you know, I, I was kind of lost in that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, you know, so I didn't know I didn't really have any I didn't have a role model. Um, at, at that point. So yeah, I was in the military when she passed away. Um, I was, I mean, I was able to, 
I was stationed in uh, northern New Jersey, and we live right outside of, of D.C., so I got a phone call that um, to, to the ship that I was living on um, that, you know, she, um, that it was time. You know, she had been fighting cancer for, for yeah. quite a few years and that it was time. So, you know, I jumped right in my car and I drove down to D.C. and I got to spend about 20 minutes with her or so before she passed away. I, in my heart, I believe that she waited for me, you know, because just, just because it was so quick, you know, it was so quick before she, she passed. Um, but I think she waited for me and, you know, just it, it just gave me you know a little bit of a, a time to say goodbye and, and to hug her for one last time. But um. But yeah, and you know, I, I guess to, I don't know what Tony said, but but to Tony's point, and when where it was really tough was because in those moments is when you know you get to fetal position, you know, and in my fetal position was my mom, right? So um, I kind of felt like I lost that, and then you know, just being the military and being that you know the mission is always first, you know, I had to I had to pretty much leave the funeral and go and go right back to work, and and it mm. was it was an incredibly emotional time in my life, um, and you know, once again. I'm 21 years old. I'm around a bunch of like knucklehead dudes. And, you know, we're, we're, although I think people cared for me, you know, nobody was giving me a hug or nobody. And I probably didn't want it at, the, at that time, too. But, you right. know, it wasn't that I felt very, 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 very alone on a, on a, on a ship with 800 people. You know, mm. that makes sense. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just it, t- it took a long struggle. Um, to be honest with you, I resented the military a lot at the time. Um, but again, when you're 21, I think you, uh, I think that you look more outward and less inward. And and at 21, I was I was blaming my life, not 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 really dealing with uh, with with what was going on in my life. And I didn't know how. I didn't have the life skills to. You know, that, that's the other thing when you're young. You just you're learning life skills. You don't have the life skills, right? So you make mistakes. You know, and it wasn't until I was out of the military for about five or six years that I really appreciate my time there and the people that I met there. When you talked about the forgiveness piece for your dad, I think you're on the other side of it. So you can actually see how important forgiving him frees you up. You know, I think people dig their heels in and are so determined to hold on to a grudge thinking that it's hurting the person that they're angry with when really all it does is eat you alive and keep you from living your best life. So there's a little bit of a story there, right? So you know, just like a lot of young guys or, or, or men or, or, you know, uh, dad-father relationships, you know, I, I looked for validation for him my entire life and I never kind of felt, and I don't want to say never as an exact, but, you know, there was very few times where, where I felt like the validation that I needed from him was fulfilled, right? Um, and then my dad, you know, my dad uh, struggled, uh, struggled with, he, he had Alzheimer's for about seven or eight years, which is about mm-hmm. the timeline, you know. My so, dad's in it right now, right now, so right I get it. So, so for you, understand that it's a seven or eight year disease, right? Yep. So th- there came a point to where, um, you know, before I knew he was sick, I needed that validation. I needed that validation. I needed that validation. Um, and I just wasn't getting it. And, and, and that ate me up. Now, granted, I didn't look at it as validation, but I just couldn't understand why I couldn't connect with him, Right. Right. So then once he got sick and once like the brain wasn't there anymore, now I no longer looked at that being as for validation anymore, right? It just wasn't there. You know, it was never going to get there. It was never going to come back, you know? So, so it allowed me to relax a little bit and to, and to, and, and I'm sad to say that, that I wasn't able to forgive myself to forgive him until he was sick. And that was because I, I no longer needed him for some external kind of um, validation. Hmm. That is pretty powerful, but so true. 
it's crazy how, you know, with the, with that disease, they tend to have a better memory of the past. So it almost turned you back into that little boy probably being around him because that's how they remember you. So that must've triggered you all over again when you were around him, when he was kind of with it and, and knew what was going on. Cause that's what happens with me when I'm around it's my dad. interesting to bring that up. So I don't know why we're going down this road, but we'll go. Here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be making you laugh. I'm supposed to be telling <laughs> people that laugh of yours. <laughs> you might make me cry. So I remember uh, it was about, um, I don't know, probably like six years ago, seven years ago, you know, right when the disease first, you know, we started to recognize that, 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 that there was a problem there. And he had been diagnosed at that point as well. But I remember he was at my sister's house for Christmas because that's where we always go for Christmas. And, um, and again, we had like a, we, when I was a kid, we had a tough relationship. You know, it was like it, sentences end it with me getting hit or sentences get end it with me, with, with me just, you know, just him yelling at me or, or whatever, you know, it was, just, it was just really tough for that, um, for, for me, for that, with that. So I remember there was a time again, it was about six years ago, I was at my sister's house, it was Christmas and the kids, the grandkids, our kids, we're, we're getting ready to open gifts. And, you know, I, I said, hey, come on, dad, come in the living room. Let's go watch the kids open, open the gifts. And I kind of grabbed his arm to kind of like guide him there, you know, so and he had had a rough night anyways. Um, but he started screaming at me and like, uh, don't you don't you put your hands on me and like jumped in my face like he's gonna kick my ass and stuff. And it was very weird because the for the first time in more than half of my life, I felt like that little kid again. You know, here I am an adult, here I am, I have, I have a child, I have, um, I have an amazing wife, you know, like, and, and it immediately brought me back to those feelings that frankly, I forgot I had, yeah. you know, and, and I, I immediately went back there and it, it was a tough struggle for me, you know, now I identified it, I was, I was mature enough to be like, okay, he made me feel this way, what am I going to do with these feelings? And, and I, I kind of had to just go to my wife because I wanted to both punch him in the face and cry at the same time, you know, so that, that's what was working inside of me. And I just went to my wife and was like, you know, I haven't had those feelings in a really, 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 really long time. And it was those feelings of not being good enough. It was those feelings of, of being scared because, you know, he, he, he raised with, a, with an iron fist kind of thing. You know, he, he, mm -hmm. raised, he raised those kids through fear. Um, you know, it's my way or the highway kind of stuff. But it was very interesting to me for me to sit on those feelings um, and just and it allowed me to heal a little bit with those feelings. And, and it also it, I, I have this belief system in, in being reactive um, that, I, that we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast. But but it also it tested whether I was going to be reactive or not. So, you know, at the end of that evening, um, my wife was like, you know what, you did pretty good there because uh, in the old days that would that would have reacted. me. And that's the beauty of the being over 50. Um, I think you finally understand that your parents are two people that got together years ago when they were dating, fell in love. Like their story, to your point earlier in, the, in this podcast, was um, they're just humans doing the best that they can. And most of our parents started much younger than us. Like my parents got married they were 19 and 20 something, you know, they had my sister by the time, I think they were 22, all three of us by the time they were like 26, they had three kids under three, like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, wow, now it all makes sense. You know, how the hell do you do that? It's crazy when you think back and, and they're just human 
and doing the best they can. And something that's really helped me in the salon, in my marriage, as a mom, you know, as an aunt, as a friend, is understanding that every single one of us, when we are in any type of conflict, like when you grabbed your dad's arm, you of course did not mean anything by it. You're trying to help him walk into the other room. But when there's any conflict, it's your inner five-year-old who is reacting to the conflict. That inner five-year-old never leaves us. And as a parent, I wish that I knew that those first five years were so formative. I think when you're raising kids, those first five years, you're like, put him in a car seat, dragging him here, dragging him there. You're like, oh, he's asleep. Oh, he needs to be fed. He needs to be changed. He needs to be put to bed. It's like, you're not really nurturing that little being into their personality, thinking they're too little to understand. And then learning that that was the most formative years you could possibly have. I'm like, oh shit, when is this going to come back to haunt us all? So, oh, unreal. The, the dynamic of emotional intelligence is huge in what we do behind the chair in dealing with crazy clients, you know? Um, I mean, just to kind of, I'll give my story about, about being reactive and, and how this has been part of my journey as well is um, a little backstory is um, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. Um, we, we've been together since high school. Um, and we used to, I mean, even up to our mid thirties, we would fight like we were 17 year olds. You know, we were mean to each other. We'd say stuff that, that we, we would just say to hurt each other, that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we fought a lot until um, about our mid thirties and I'm going to take the credit here because I'm telling the story, but, but understand that it's a two way street. But um, I, uh, I decided that I was, I was no longer going to fight with her. You know, I was like, I was done. I was like, you know what? We fought so much up to this point. We're done for a lifetime. So um, with that declaration, um, I also had to be responsible for it and, and being reactive was how I responded to stuff. Right. So I had, the dis- I had the discussion with myself and asked myself, you know, a simple question. Has there ever been, and I, and, I, and I challenge everybody to ask the same question of themselves. Have you ever been reactive and gotten a positive outcome? Mm. You know? So true. And that was the question that I asked myself. And, and throughout my life, you might be able to come up with one or two times. I can't find one, but I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming somebody's gotten a positive <laughs> response for being reactive. Um, so I, 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 I couldn't think of a time where being reactive gave me a positive result. And certainly in the moment, I had to live with it for a very, very long time after the moment, right? Whatever that reaction was, you know? So I I just, I I convinced myself that it's a wasted emotion. You know, that being reactive is a wasted emotion and it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do your marriage any good. It doesn't do your kids any good. You know, being reactive is a wasted emotion. Now, you know, through that, I, uh, I failed a lot. Right. But, and I still fail at it. Sometimes I'm reactive, but now I have something to live by and be like, you know what, Corey, you want your best, best. You weren't your best, best in that moment. And, and, and those reactive moments now are, are very, very, very far apart, you know, because now I have to, I have to live with the consequence to myself. I have to be committed to myself, not to be reactive. You know, my life goal is always to be the guy in the room that you can come to, you can come have a conversation with, you know, if, 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 if I never want to be the person where you're like, uh, how's he going to feel about this? Is he going to Kirk out? You know, I never want to be that guy. I never want to be that person. Um, and that goes as far as working in a salon. I hope that anybody can come to me and be like, Hey, this is the situation one or two, 
you know, you, you upset me, you hurt my feelings. Let's get through this. You know, I, I tried to, because I, with that reaction thing is also the defense button, right? Like you have to be able to identify when you're being defensive. So, um, you know, my life goal is just to be the guy that you can always come to, um, on the, now you have to be, you know, you have to, you have to bring the same energy, right? <laughs> like, you know, I, I think, but let me back up. Even through that practice, like I try to approach with that energy as well. So if I have an issue with somebody, I'm trying to bring that energy. Like, listen, we can all, I give you the benefit of the doubt that we're all humans and that we're just trying to do the best that we can, you know, but here's how this affected me or here's how the situation affected me in a negative way. So I, I love though that you made the choice to um, do something different to heal things instead of jumping to the next woman, the next shiny new object. Most men, when they're fighting and fighting and fighting, it's like, that's it, divorce, done, moving on. And then they get into a second relationship only to find that they're reacting and fighting and it's just a new face, a new name, but it's the same dynamic. And this the same theme can be <clears throat> brought into the salon world. How many people in the salon world are in a culture where they're butting heads with someone and they just keep leaving and jumping, but they can't run away from themselves. They're not taking any ownership for their part in sure. the drama. Mm -hmm. It's such a common thing in the industry that's so easily fixed to your point. You know, Corey, can I grab you for a second? You know, earlier when you said that in front of my client, it really made me feel bad about myself and it embarrassed me. And, you know, I just want to let you know that, like, can we, in the future, just talk about this stuff in private and not in front of the client. Like just having a normal conversation and sharing how you feel can diffuse that reactivity instead of being like, asshole, da -da 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 -da. you know what I mean? It's the delivery and how you say it when you say, I felt hurt, I felt you know, embarrassed, I felt whatever. When you're taking the eye on and shifting that conversation, how much better would the culture be? We wouldn't have everybody running in droves to their basement, their kitchen, their, you know, everybody's putting she sheds in their yard. I've been seeing it all over Facebook. It's like, I'm putting a trailer in my yard. I want to be on my own. I want to keep all my money. I'm like, oh God, you know, there's, there's something about that culture of being around like-minded people and, and the artistic energy that brings people together that's being missed with everyone hunkering down and hiding. Well, well, two things. One is that, yes, I left my, I left in the middle of fights, I left my home a thousand times with every intention of never coming home, mm. never coming back. You know, that's part of the process, right? So I remember, and, and it actually made me laugh. There was, it might've been the last time I left because it, it took all the energy out of it. But like we were in a fight and I left the house and I get in my car and I'm reversing down my driveway and I go, I'm going to be back in a couple hours. You know, it was no longer this. <laughs> you knew the routine. <laughs> yeah. So you knew how it ends. I knew how it ended, and I went to go see a movie, and then I came back to the house, and I was back in a couple hours, and I think that was the last time that, you know, I kind of left because it took all the energy out of that. It took the door slamming, and it took that energy. Right. It got old, even to you. <laughs> I and love that. And in that moment, in that moment, Elaine, whether I knew it or not, I committed to a lifetime to her. Yeah right? Like, this is what it is. You know, it's not, it's not, gonna, it's not, not that we're not going to get better, but leaving isn't going to make anything better. Yep. You know what I mean, so uh, that happened a, a bazillion times. Um, 
to your point of you know being reactive or having the conversation you know even if it even if it even if it avoids you need to think uh, like the big picture right so to, to to be able to have that conversation it might it might not having that conversation might diffuse the uh, the reaction in the moment but it always it's just going to put it back to a different day it's just going to put it back to a different time and as like you were saying be, by being able to have that conversation um it allows you to diffuse the future as well you know 100 percent. yeah so uh yeah um i don't know well let's sure. get back to my question about tony Mm -hmm. um, what is something you could tell us about your bud tone who's on all of your podcasts with you that we would all as listeners of your day off be surprised to hear um, that he might first of all he's my role model you know he's my role model and as as a dad he, he's my role model as a family member he's my role model as a friend you know, he, he, he absolutely is what I strive to be, you know, um, he too, when I was young and, and I had just gotten sober and I, uh, I, 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 I always wanted to be the life of the party, right? Once again, I was having internal conversations and after I got sober, I no longer knew how to be the life of the party. Um, and I also, I, I never felt like I got respect, right? So I don't know, I'm making this about me and I don't mean to, but I think it, the, the, there's an end of the story. Um, I, but Tony always, ever since we were kids, young, young kids, you know, when Tony walked in the room, he had a different level of respect than I ever had, right? And anyone that meets me will meet me. I still have crazy energy, especially at live events and stuff. But, um, but I looked at Tony and I was like, you know, how can I be more like him? How can I get respect just from walking in the room instead of demanding attention, right? Mm. Respect and attention sometimes are different things. So, you know, I, I've always looked at, I've looked towards him um, uh, for how can I be better? How can, how can I be a better person? And, and uh, like I said, a better father and stuff. Um, when we both had young children, um, I, I looked at the same thing. I looked at him and go, man, he's a really great father. How can I be a better father? You know, not, not that I was, not that I was envious or jealous of, of his relationship because I had a great relationship with my daughter, but I would watch him be a father. And, and, and how can I be better? How can I be a better father? How can I be more um, engaged in the room? Because he's very engaged in it with his kids. Um, and I also, um, I don't know how much his Tony story he told you, but you know, he grew up without a father. So I also couldn't understand how this guy that doesn't have a father was a better father than I was being, mm. you know? So, um, so I looked, you know, I was like impressed by that as well, that, that, that he truly fathered and everything he does, he does through love, you know, in that, in that he fathered through love. And maybe because of my, my relationship with my dad, that, um, that I was scared of that fatherly love, you know, maybe mm. I had to find it or something, but to watch him do it and only do it with love, you know, um, that was, uh, again, that was kind of my role model um, in how to be a father. Uh, to this day at Tony's house, he has many, 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 many cousins and aunts and uncles and a very, very, very large family. And, um, you know, to this day, he doesn't lock his door because you never know who's going to come through the door. And I've always admired, that. you know, um, people just come in, whether it's neighbors, whether it's a cousin that just, you know, is driving down the street, whether it's whatever, you know, you open the door and you yell up the steps, Hey, I'm here. And there's never like anything other than, Hey, welcome. You know, it's never like, why are you here? you know that's it, amazing 
that 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 taught me um, a bunch about again that same love and that same family um, with it. And you know, his because we've been friends for so long, his family has literally um, adopted me as one of their own. Right. So mm-hmm. like if you talk to his cousins, they'll be like, oh, that's my cousin, Corey. You know, we're not blood related at all. But 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 um, because of that, of that family and, and their openness um, to not outsiders necessarily, but just to the family unit. You know, once Tony brought me into this family, I 1000 percent am nothing different than family to those guys. And, and to me, you know, um, as a matter of fact, uh, my daughter um, is best friends with one of Tony's cousins which is weird, right? Because now we're starting to remove people, but, but again, through, because Tony's kind of the, the nucleus to that, or he's certainly in this generation is the nucleus to that. And he's kind of brought that together and he's kind of nurtured that, 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 that family spirit. So um, I, I think, I don't know if, you know, people don't know that about it because, you know, he's pretty open about it, but, but it's, certainly, it's certainly the thing that I cherish the most out of our relationship. That's amazing. You have the ability to connect to so many industry greats, educators, salon owners. Um, I know the whole COVID situation has stopped us all in our tracks. Yep. Um, what, what would you say is the biggest thing that you spent your time doing during this time that we were all forced to take a big pause? Um, have you done anything for moving forward? I know you were supposed to have a big in-person event that had to be canceled. Yeah, so we had that. We we had that. We we were gonna. We were we had a show on the books for September, and that was Presley Poe and Friends Two. Um, that was going to feature Sam Via um, with Roche, Jackie Davis, uh, Sarai, um, and then the Blonding and Beyond team. Um, so uh, we did. We had to push that forward. Right now, we're tentatively looking at April, but it all depends on what happens with, with COVID and if we're going to be able to do live events. You know, anybody, anywhere. You know. Right. So yeah, you know, we definitely had to push that forward as far as the podcast goes. As far as personally, Elaine, the COVID nineteen couldn't have happened at a better time because um, in February, we had a tornado come down in our yard and we lost about one hundred and fifty trees. So. Wow. For the last, I don't know, you know, pretty much since March until, you know, till a month from now, you know, we've been, we've just been doing cleanup and I was able to do like five or 10 years of cleanup that I, I just would have never got, you know, it had been taking me five or 10 years to kind of get done. And right. you know, it just kind of gave us time. And, you know, I kind of, you know, like Fred Flintstone, I, I, I punched in every morning and just started to work. And then, you know, I punched out at night, you know, I just, I just got, I just did the work, you know, and, and it just, you know, it, it allowed me that time to do it. Um, it also allowed us to uh, to do the podcast uh, uh, on different days. You know, as you know, we have a pretty strict schedule for uh, recording on Mondays and Tuesdays, and, and we were able to open that up a little bit. And you know, as far as the again backing up, as far as the podcast goes, I mean, you know, we were just we we wanted to have the conversation. How can we help the industry? You know, that's that's our conversation, literally our conversation all the time. Like, how can we help the industry? You know, can we? And COVID was, uh, COVID was our challenge. You know, how can we help the industry with, 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 uh, with COVID? I'm very, very proud of, of the stuff that we put out. Um, I'm, I'm very proud that, that, you know, we had the conversations that I think the industry uh, uh, needed to hear at the time. Like I knew, and I just, we just directed it through our anxiety. Where's our anxiety? You know, like we, uh, we got shut down and within 12 hours, we were talking to the guys from Summit about how to protect your business. You know, so once we started to see that, um, you know, we were like, okay, where do we, at that moment, like, okay, what's the next, well, how, 
how do we protect our business? You know, so I, I reached out to the summit guys and, and they jumped right, right on board with us. And then, you know, then we were like, well, what's, when we get back, what's going to be? And then, you know, we, we had the barber side people on and stuff. Um, so um, I'm just, again, just to say, I'm really, really proud of the content that we put out through COVID because, you know, we never intended to be a news agency, but somehow we ended up there for, for about a month or so. Um, and then, you know, even now with, uh, with Black Lives Matter and what's going on in our industry and how decisive it is in, 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 um, in our industry. And, and we, we all saw, you know, what happened when the brands got, 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 put, got put on check and how everybody turned around on that, you know. So, you know, Tony and I's role are to have the conversations and, and that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to have these conversations, um, not, our, not our opinions necessarily, but just the conversation about, you know, where are we as an industry and, what, and what's our responsibility and how should, we, how should we respond, not react, not react to this, but how should we respond to this and not respond as like we have to defend something, but how do we respond and how can we continue to have it? How can we continue to use our platform to have the conversations that, that, I, think, um, that I think people need to hear? And, you know, just last week we released a podcast or a few weeks ago we released a podcast with uh, Alelia Bundles, who's the great great granddaughter of uh, CJ, Madam CJ Walker, who's the first mm. you know, millionaire, self made millionaire um, in America. You know, so she wrote the book, and there's actually a, a show on Netflix called Self Made that's about Madam. I C. saw it, yeah, it was great. So, so Alelia actually wrote the book that that, that show was on, that, that show was on, and I didn't know, but you know, you know Kia, so we reached out to you know we told Kia that we we're having her on and. Kia informed me that not, you know, not only is Alayla an author, but she's like a civil rights superhero. So I didn't know that at the time, but um, I'm, I'm glad Kia informed me that she's a, a civil rights superhero. So, um, and we, uh, for the first time, we actually did a, a live Zoom call. And, uh, and it was really cool because we had some, uh, we had some really great questions for Alayla afterwards. Um, Alila. I keep messing her name up, Alila. Uh, we kept, um, we had some uh, Q&A with her afterwards, and I thought the questions were just amazing. I don't know where, how we got there, but we're there. That's awesome. Well, I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. We have not heard the last of you or your sidekick, Tony. <laughs> no, um, we're, we're here forever, man. Yes. <laughs> we're not and going you, anywhere. Well, you've made, your, made a platform for yourself, and you have a voice, and you're wonderful at, connecting people and giving other people a voice. So thank you for that and all that you do. And uh, now that life is starting to somewhat get back to normal, I wish you luck with all of that in, in your salon and getting back into your routine and uh, spending time with grandchildren and, and all of that good stuff and family. So it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Elaine, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, for bringing Tony and I on. We uh, we we actually we 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 really like uh, you know uh, talking separately. You know, so um, yeah, I want I really wanted to do it separate. I love you guys together, and we've done it together. But I knew that there would be a different part of yourself that you would bring when you were by yourself, and you made me cry, dude. I, I <laughs> you know what it takes to make me cry? Like it, it's really a big deal to make me cry. Apparently talk about my mom uh, you, you know, should like, be really proud it. of yourself for doing that to me. <laughs> i'll own it I'll, I'll own it yes you you are the first <laughs> you know just just moving forward um and you know with everything that we've seen on, on social media and instagram and, and all that stuff you know i think that our goal or hair industry's goal is you know for us to fall in love with the industry again you know mm -hmm. that's really our goal for for 2020 and moving into 2021 is like 
let's have the conversations where we can fall in love with the industry again and, and fall in love with, with, with our heroes and fall in love with, with the industry. And, and, you know, we'll continue to spotlight the, uh, the, the, the people in our industry and the stories that need to be, that need to be heard or that, that, you know, forget everybody else that yeah, it's the stories that Tony and I want to hear. hear. Yeah. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but, um, but you know, that, that's our goal and, and that's our mission. I mean, it's more than a goal. It's our mission. You know, let's let, let us fall in love with the industry again. And, and um, I think that the, the podcast format or certainly our podcast format allows us to do that. And, and I challenge my other, uh, my other uh, podcasting uh, cohorts out there um, to, uh, to do the same. Let's, let's create a, let's create an environment where, were allowed and have permission to fall in love with the industry again. I could not agree more. hundred percent. Thank you, my friend. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for having Tony and I on and uh, until the next time. Thanks guys for listening. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the ask the color expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.